Hey guys, this is Alex, and um, you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks to everybody who listened to me and Alan incessantly yak on about the very first Pokemon movie, Detective Pikachu, and Pokemon in general. And also, thank you for tolerating us just dunking on the Sonic trailer for a half hour because it was Alan's first time seeing that trailer, like, when he showed up to the theater and... He had some feelings, as we all do, about the big blue obnoxious hedgehog that's coming to live action sometime soon. I don't know when, but I'll probably go see it because I'm a nightmare human. But um, before we jump into the podcast proper, I'll have a discussion with with you guys. Not I'm not bringing anybody else on, but um, not right now. But I want to talk about specifically the end of Game of Thrones. And if you're not watching Game of Thrones, you know, this might still be interesting. My thoughts on this might still be interesting to you, especially since they have a lot to do with anime and the way particularly anime, especially long-running anime, is made and is ended in a way that is divorced from the source material. Now, um... For those of you who maybe haven't been watching anime for a super long time or have avoided, like, behemoth-sized series like One Piece or, like, Gintama or, like, Naruto Shippuden or even the original Naruto, um, what, what happens there is oftentimes the core property, the com- the manga, is still running is still running when the show starts coming out. Now, ideally what you want, what people want to do is they want to pick up a show um, right as the manga is ending so the full story is there so they can adapt a full story. But that doesn't always happen. And um, it used to be pretty common for and still is fairly common for a anime be running, uh, not alongside the manga, because that would be really difficult, but slightly delayed from the manga's release. So, you see this especially in um, a show like Attack on Titan. I think Attack on Titan's manga is still ongoing. So, the manga is given, has sufficient space to, like go and stop at its own leisure in Attack on Titan's case because they took um, years in between Season 1 and Season 2. They've taken less years in between Season 1 and Season 3. But part of the reason why anime takes those big time... takes those big breaks is because they want to give the source material time to catch up. Um, it does, however, happen that the source material, it just isn't there, and the anime is racing ahead, and they want to end it the way they want to end it, and this is the case in the original Full Metal Alchemist. Um, the original Full Metal Alchemist ended before the manga had concluded, and the reason why Brotherhood is A, thought of as the better show, and B, was made at all, was because, you know, 
even the studio that did Full Metal Alchemist originally, I forget the studio that did it, said like, you know, we're ending we're doing this we're ending this in a different way from the manga because the manga hasn't ended. Um and they were and people were really excited for Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because it weaves more closely to the original source material, and at that point, the source material had concluded so they could go from A to Z with with what um, I heard um, them refer to in Waypoint's discussion, Waypoint's podcast about Game of Thrones, as they could go with guardrails the enti- for the entire time, and they had story beats they could hit, and they had a, like, a mapped-out... Um, story structure for them, and they simply now. When I say simply, I don't mean simply. Ad- adaptation is not simple, but um, they could adapt it without worry, without having to like invent certain parts of it at a time. And so, if you've ever watched Naruto Shippuden, which I can't believe. There are probably anime fans who have never watched Naruto Shippuden at this point, but there probably are. There are probably anime fans who only know Boruto, Boruto, and they look at the screen and they say, Man, Boruto's dad is kind of a jerk, but he seems cool. I wonder if there's a show about him. And boy, howdy is there. (laughs) But, um, what happened for portions of Naruto is because Naruto did not have a season structure in the way that many seasonal TV shows and indeed seasonal anime does. It just kept running. It um, was either no breaks or very few breaks, from what I understand. Um, it was... It had to have what we, what we in the anime community refer to as filler arcs. Now... What I find interesting about filler arcs, and this is where I'm going to come back around to Game of Thrones, is this season, and from what I understand, the seventh season feels a lot like a filler arc in anime. And the reason for that is the the book for Game of Thrones is not done. They have They haven't been adhering to the books for the past two seasons. I didn't watch the last season, but I watched this one. And just from what I know about the way watching an episode of Game of Thrones feels like and what they focus on and how they choose to focus on things, other than the episode that happened right after the um fight with the white right after the battle with the White Walkers, which the battle with the White Walkers it it felt clumsy in a way that was like uh, they clearly didn't have a, they they had a game plan but they didn't have someone who wrote it out in the way that the books were written out for them in advance so it felt the way a lot of bad tv battle scenes feel and it it, it was just too it was too meandery. It was too unfocused. It was, and I don't care what the cinema, what the director says. It was way too dark 
like darkly lit and it if you watch any good battle scenes in anything anime film whatever there's a kind of choreography to them and there's a pacing and there's a it's a delicate balance that you can that you have to strike to make a big massive battle feel like you're not just in a helicopter panning over constantly and it felt and and there were some moments in that battle in that battle scene episode but for the most part the best parts of that episode were when people weren't fighting when when like there were small character moments like Arya sneaking through the library or John realizing that he fucked yo um <laughs> When the Night King turns around, just like lifts his hands, and all the and all the White Walkers just like all the dead all the dead soldiers turn to White Walkers and just get up off the ground, and he just turns and walks off, leaving Jon Snow just deeply screwed. Um, and the other thing about the difficult of adaptation versus the diff- the advantages of adaptation versus the pitfalls of just allowing a writer room alone to take care of something like Game of Thrones, is Game of Thrones is ruthless for the most part. It is known for just acting off main characters. People get killed left and right. People you think are there for the duration are no longer there for the duration all of a sudden. But the, the difficult thing about that is... You have to have a lot of courage to do that. There was um a show a bunch of seasons ago. Don't don't make me think about how many seasons it was. But I think it was called like The Thief of Twenty Faces or something. And this show is infamous for the single reason of in its first episode, it kills off ninety nine point nine percent of the main cast. It leaves the main character but everybody else dies. And it spends this whole episode, like, introducing the character, doing what a first episode of anime does. And then, at the end of the show, boom, everybody dead except for the main character. And that's really brave, because what that says, it, it, what that episode did was did all this heavy-lifting story work to get you ready to, like, spend time with these characters, and then it just throws them out of the window of a train, I believe, if I remember correctly. But Game of Thrones had that similar unstable feel for a long time, and from what I understand, in the past two seasons, the characters started to develop plot armor. And if you don't know what the phrase plot armor means, it means that for story reasons, the character has to stay alive. So, a perfect example of this is um, a character like Tyrion Lannister. Tyrion Lannister, for story reasons, only for the purpose of the story at the, at the end, needed to stay alive. So, they like constantly set up these things where he wouldn't die. And when you thought he would die, it didn't really feel like it because... In your head, you just feel like he has 
the story is protecting him. And when you aren't, when the show hasn't done that since the beginning, it feels, it just feels bad. And that's why I would think a lot of people kind of shied away from this, from the final season. But, or one of the reasons. But, I thought it was so, when I heard that not only this season, but the last season were written largely without the books as a guide, all I thought was, this is like, this is like what anime has to deal with, like, seasonally. Like, somebody, like, the manga writer died, or, um, the manga writer can't, like, like, is behind. So, you need an episode that, that week, but you also want to give them a week to catch up. And sometimes it is that tight. So, that's where things like clip show episodes come into play. That's where things like, re- like the Dreaded Recap episodes, like um, Black Clover that next week, which, once again, if you do not follow me on Twitter, Black Clover is a dog shit show and should be ashamed of itself. But, um, that show is for no reason foreseeably, just has a clip show episode coming up. I'm watching the dub version on Funimation, so I think I'm, like, two or three behind. But I'm like, you have more! Why are you doing the clip show? And also, in my brain, I'm like, why is this not, like, an OVA cutout on Funimation's website? And they're just like, well... This is clearly a clip show. We're going to, like, put this over here if you're, like, a super fan. Although, why would you be? It's Black Clover. Um, you can watch this. But if you, like, if you have a sickness, if you have a problem, like Alec, like I do, then you can just mainline this thing week to week, and we'll, like, make sure this clip show is over there for when you have morbid curiosity, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done this, but I did it. Um, which, uh, so that, but I also understand why they're not going to screw with the programming schedule and just plop it in there. But there's no reason a show like Black Clover needs to do stuff like that. It seems like the source material is well ahead of itself. Um, but generally, and I think, I know from what I understand, like, the creator of Game of Thrones didn't want to do it anymore. Like, they they were looking for an out, so they wanted to end it on season 8. But, what I would have done if I wanted to end it by season 8, if I would have taken the scripts for season 8, to A, I would have given it 10 episodes, so shit had room to breathe, and you had room to explain the choices, because with the, I think it was 6 episodes... You, they just didn't have room to, like, take the time to, like, come to conclusions naturally, so it felt very rushed. Like, Danny's turn, although I saw that, saw that shit in her from episode one, unfortunately, it just felt out of the blue, and I get that. Um... Jon Snow feels ridiculous because they have to over the course of, like, two episodes, convince him that, like, yo, your girl's fucking crazy, you should murder her, and then he does, over the course of, like, 
what feels like actually really more one episode, but um, it, it just so it just feels rushed. It feels like it doesn't have a solid core to it in the way that like almost it remind me almost of like the worst filler seasons of Naruto Shippuden, where like they have to send them all into the dream world because they don't have the rest of the story yet. And it's just... I thought it was interesting, so I wanted to talk about it up front here, but that's not actually what we're talking about this week. What we are talking about this week is a little show that is probably fairly infamous, and that show is Desert Punk. Now, for those of you who weren't watching anime in, like, the early, early, early aughts, um, actually, no, I think Gonzo still puts out shows, and they still suck. Um, <laughs> that's awful, I shouldn't say that. They, 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 they work hard at, at what they do, and do their best, but their shows are generally just not good. But, um... Desert Punk is, like, an early aughts anime, and so I will put some warnings up here. I don't usually do this, but this one's particularly egregious. Um, I just want to do a content warning. I can't believe I'm doing this. For the humor in this show is very, very, very rough and very crude and, like, purposefully abrasive in, like serious way, and, but, the reason why I wanted to talk about Desert Punk, and actually, it relates to the Game of Thrones conversation in the beginning of the episode, is because Desert Punk also feels lopsided in the way that it's constructed, but I'll get to that in a second. But, first, the reason, part of the reason that is, is because it was it's an anime made by Gonzo, which, and it's a unique unique in Gonzo's like catalog, because generally what happens in um, Gonzo's anime is 
the show starts off really strong for the for the mandatory three episodes to get you to watch it. It is there. It is killing it unless it's like there's like no saving it. And then on episode four, it just drops through the fucking ground, and it like never and it can recover a little, but usually Gonzo anime does not. It just kind of continues to suck. But the thing about Desert Punk is it is so... So, let me set this up here. Desert Punk is about, basically, the apocalypse happened, and you're... You're in Kanto, the main island of Japan, but because the apocalypse happened, basically the whole world has been converted into a desert wasteland, so they call it the Great Kanto Desert, when you're in Japan, and society has fallen has fallen apart to the point of like, think kind of like a trigun, um, gunsmoke world kind of thing, like, but poorer and less, not quite old west, but like dust bowl depression nightmare, almost. With but like. Throw a little bit of, like, cyberpunk in there as well. And you... So our main character is a guy named Kanta, and he is known as the Desert Punk, and he is known as... and also known as the Demon of the Desert. And he is this famous mercenary for a mercenary guild called the Handyman Guild. And from what you understand, he's basically a combination, like, house painter, bounty hunter, or anything that you'll pay him money for. But the thing about it is they take the desert really seriously from the word go. When you're out, when people are outside, they're in these, like, desert environmental suits, basically. Which usually means that you don't see, that you don't see either their face or their mouth, specifically. And... The way they handle this is really impressive because that gives the show this ability where you can just dub whatever the fuck you want into the show. So instead of making it like... I, I would be curious to know how joke-laden the original Japanese audio track is because the American audio track is like the most crude disgusting, insane, cruel toilet humor you could ever imagine. And the reason it works is because it's not, it's specifically not asking you to like any, any of the characters in the cast. Not the main cast, not the supporting cast, not the, like, secondary cast. Even the, like, little incidental background character are complete assholes. And so it takes this stance of, like, everybody is kind of an asshole. Actually, it takes that stance until maybe, like, episode five when they introduce Kasuna. And Kasuna, for a long time, just plays the straight man in the entire show. Which is hilarious. But 
this and I want to be clear, like the comedic, bizarre, fucked up tone of Desert Punk never relents. Even when it, even when the show is serious, it like still blatantly makes a ball, makes a dick joke in the middle of like a deeply serious moment, which I have a lot of respect for because at least it's committed to its insane, insane comedy. But because everybody's an asshole, it it creates this distortion field of you you like the characters, but you never feel bad for them because you're like, I like I like Kanta, he's fun, but also he deserves what's coming to him, and in so. Basically, at first you're just following Kanta, and it's like a adventure of the moment or adventure of the week show. And then they in- introduce a character, and in the first episode, they introduce this character named Junko. And Junko is... And first off, Junko is where the deeply inappropriate, like, very per- like very perverse fucked up, ultimately acted on like, lurid sexual humor happens, because Junko is designed, specifically to have massive boobs. And they, and, you know, Kanta says, like, called her, he called her, like, Milk Mouse, he called her he like he uses every like boob based pun, disgusting boob based pun you could possibly imagine. And once again, for a lot of the show, the characters are wearing helmets. So the rule is basically if they're on screen and they're speaking lines, as long as we get to the point, we can do whatever we want. Because they don't have to match lip flaps. And even when they do, they do a really good job of, like, cranking up the crazy on the dubs. And that actually makes this show a lot of fun to just, like, listen to, even if you're not paying attention. Because it... So, how can I put this? You know the way that Ryan Reynolds does... Well, everything at this point, but it started with Deadpool, where everything is weaved with, like, double entendre and, like, triple meanings, and it's all coming, but it's all coming at 900 miles a minute, so if it's something in particular offensive, you're like, oh, shit, you don't have enough time to care because already on to the next insane fucking sentence, that's the way they did Desert Punk. And, um, from what I understand, actually, um, Ghost Stories, the, like, infamous Ghost Stories dub, is the same way. Like, they, they had some points they had to hit, but nobody really cared how they got there. I I forget who made a video about it, but somebody on YouTube made a video about, like, exactly how that dub happened. But that dub has been infamous. I've never seen it, but it, it sounds fucking amazing. (laughs) Um, and this, like, these dubs 
were done in lesser degree than in show in recent shows like um Hajime no Gal where say like somebody somebody and I tweeted at one of the tweeted this and one of the voice actors like added me with like yeah no kidding um one of the voice act one of the voice lines in that used the word cuck <laughs> and I like I very rarely, like, do a double take and pause and rewind, but I was like, what, really? They totally just, like, call, like, one character called another character a cuck? This is, this is the most 20-fucking-19 thing ever, or what, I think it was 2018, but I'm like, this is the most 2018 thing ever, fuck. And I promptly tweeted, like, God, God bless whoever had to read the word cuck on a script for Hajime no Gal, and I think actually the voice actor for that character, like, added me and was like, right here, <laughs> thank you for the blessing, it was really weird to, like, read that, I barely got through it. <laughs> but, um, so, Desert, and... If I had to say there was a main selling point of Desert Punk, it's A, this show manages to write, this show manages to exist and succeed with characters who are fundamentally assholes. And, it, but also, the way they construct the world, with a very, with a few exceptions, those, at least in the first half of the season, of, of the show. The second half of the show we'll get to in a minute. But, um, at least in the first half of the show, you have these characters who are complete assholes, but the world around them justifies it in a weird way, because the world around them is, like, inherently designed to be massively cruel and massively oppressive and just deeply imbalanced. And so, here's one of the re also really interesting things about the um, show, is that it has this mysterious path to it, because you're just plopped into this post-apocalyptic sandy hellhole um, of the Kanto de of the Great Kanto Desert, um, and it's and this like governmental system called the Oasis, but you don't know what happened, and until about episode eight or nine, y you get no hints of what happened. You just know that humanity fucked up, and now global warming was so hard that it burnt the planet to a crisp and everyone got fucked sideways by the environment. And the show is better for that because it just, it does it does what good cheap cyberpunk does instead of what bad expensive cyberpunk does. And what I mean by that is it just says, here's this Here's this thing, here are these environmental hints that tell you that, like, stuff got fucked up, that, like, you're living in the future, not the past. 
and this is ju- this is just the backdrop to the story. It is it, it may or may not be more interesting, but as long as the backdrop to the story, it will be more than sufficient and be actually kind of great. Um, and then they use that to justify, like, you know, this character, Kanta, at one point, in the, in the first half, of, in, like, what I would refer to as the first half of the series, passes these orphan kids. And, um, Kasuna, who is, like, really made to be the heart of the series in the first half, in the second half, she kind of can't, doesn't stand up to scrutiny, almost. Um, she is like, why we should help those kids. They look like they're starving. And Kanta's like, no, unless you want to sell them, because I can sell them at the, at the, on the black market for a lot of money. And the story basically comes, like, the story basically comes around to telling you these kids are fucking con artists, and they like con people into picking them up, picking them up because they feel because people feel bad for them, and they take all their money and food, and that's how they survive. And so that's the world backing Kanta up and like making him not an, not just an asshole, but like an asshole by necessity for survival purposes, and. Uh, the show does that time after time. That's um probably that's just the most recent episode I've seen, but like he explained like, you know, I'm an asshole for a reason. Like I, I'm money obsessed for a reason. The thing that's n- for no other reason than he's an asshole is that he is deeply depraved and perverted. <laughs> but so unlike unlike um, Lupin the Third, Desert Punk or Kanta's um, lust is aimed at anything with almost anything jiggles, but any female with boobs is like a target of a dirty joke. Like you meet, and and but also once again they always utter, undercut his assholery with the world also being jerks. So he, instead of standing out, it's almost like he and the entire cat fits into this fucked up society. So there's a, I think it's episode three, where you meet this um, fought, like elderly father and his daughter who owe a lot of money to um, banks, to like financial organizations or debt collectors or whatever. Um, or are in a lot of debt all over the Oasis. And the first time Kanta sees the daughter, he says, I sh- and I shit you not, he says, like, I'd split her like lumber. But And so this is the important part. He, A, he does not act on that thought. B, uh, B he, at the end of the story... They make sure that you know that that daughter and that old man are fucking con artists. (laughs) So, like, that, like, that moment when you felt 
bad for them, it's completely gone. But then also, like, back again a little because the grandfather is a drunk and is also an asshole to his kid on some level. But the the point I'm trying to make is that this this show successfully makes a show where you like the characters in spite of them being unlikable. Um, even Katsuna, who is like the most kind-hearted character of the group of the of the cast is just barely kind-hearted lots of times. Like, her her stance toward Junko ultimately is, I hate her, she's a big-titted whore who tricks my master and, like, quasi-parent figure, and she needs to die. <laughs> um, but, so... This brings us to kind of the first glimpse of Desert Punk turning into a more serious show. And unfortunately, I think that the serious part of the show, the, the like serious second half of the show, is weaker than the first half, which is more like jovial and fun and like Monster of the Week. And, and is written... The first half of the show is written like a comedy, like like a black comedy almost, like a fucked up comedy sketch. The second half of the show tries to be more shown in action, and I just don't think it pulls it off well. I think that that's where, like, this Gon- Gonzo kind of not doesn't it the show doesn't fall apart but it doesn't stand up as well it's like it's like somebody just took a pickaxe to one of its legs like um but the and and that's even including the like more comedic moments of that of that of the last half of the show and but for episode i think it's 9 and 10 you, they basically, they, Junko slowly cons them into taking this job for a whole, for a shit ton of money with this old man named Taizuka. And Taizuka is this, and so the other thing is that something that a lot of anime does really well, but Desert Punk strives in because the, the, world is composed in a very specific way where this stuff makes sense is like Taizuka is this old man billionaire he has just unfathomable amounts of money of money for the for the world for this world and he has that money because he went into the ruins and basically just rediscovered Candyland and mass-produced Candyland? <laughs> the board game? 
And this, like, Desert Punk's world is so fucked up that people are like, what? I can have fun playing Candyland? Sign me up! And he is a billionaire off the back of, like, a shitty board game that you would, like, play in elementary school so you, so you could understand what it's like to hate your classmates but not murder them. And, and, uh, it's just like, and that's just a funny aside, but in that, in those, that two episode span, and what I think it kind of generic here is that you can tell when you're in the series part of the show because it's a double episode. It doesn't just take it as one episode and then get back to the goofiness. It does a double episode and then get back to the goofiness the way, almost the way Trigun would actually. And this this has a lot of debt it owes to Trigun as a show. Um, but they basically go into this ruin. They fight this android called the Guardian. And they find out Taizuka is trying to overthrow the government. And from here on out, they introduce more and more, like, small side characters who are this, like, anti- who are part of this anti-government faction until they ultimately get to the e- what the end of the show is, which is them trying to overthrow the government and somewhat succeeding on the back of, from what I understand, killing Desert Punk. I, I didn't have time to watch the full 24 run, so I kind of hopped around after a while. But the problem is, is that they've successfully made this show, built this show around not only the character, these unlikable characters, but these characters being unlikable because you didn't understand why the world was the way it was. And then they take them out and they slot those characters still for the mo- into um into the weird like anti-government revolution story that they start to tell with this show and it just it's unfortunate because it doesn't really jive as well as it should because it's uh, how should I put this? The mysterious world of the ways of the mysterious world of Desert Punk what is great when it's mysterious and it's great when it's just like this san- literal sandbox basically for these stories that the show wanted to tell and that the characters have with each other and the rest of and the world itself. But when they start diving into it, it doesn't it doesn't have legs to me beyond a generic this generic like thing. So I and I remember this the first time I watched it. The thing about it though is is that the by then you're so connected to just these crazy to like the crazy fucking assholes that are these other characters that 
it carries you through all the way to the end. And I think that's a really, for as objectionable as lots of people will find Desert Punk, and I don't blame you because of the way dubbed and the, just, I mean, so, to give you an idea, there is an entire episode of this show in which Kanta, nope, in which Kanta locks Junko in a sex dungeon and tries repeatedly to rape her. And it's played for jokes, it's played for laughs, it's like this very deeply fucked episode. And it's it's like all it's all meant to be comedy. But it's not to me and that that episode actually is like the last episode of what I would consider the first half or first season, quote-unquote, of the show. And it just doesn't... It doesn't work, because what it does is it escalates... Now, granted, it escalates it in a, like, completely in-character way for Kanta. Like, Kanta is that depraved. But it escalates the severity of the crude humor to, like, an uncomfortable level. I don't... I, I don't think that it wants... that that episode wants to make you uncomfortable. I think it wants to make the weird story joke of it that it's trying to do, but it just doesn't... It also wants to be a fan service episode. Um... But it just doesn't... It doesn't pull it off. And from there, it, the show starts to ramp up further and further into, like, the anti-government faction rebellion thing. And of those things, of those, like, of the characters in there, Kanta doesn't change... The Machine Gun Brothers, who are, like, a weird, hilarious comedy tr trio, like, side of side characters, don't change. Um, Kasuna doesn't change at all. But the character that does change, and I think this is... Even, and they reintroduced Taizuka as, like, the guy, as a financier of this, like, rebel group. The character that does change the most is Junko. And the re reason why I think that's bad is because Junko is this, like, is presented as this, like, almost um, Fujiko-esque desert manipulator, like, sexual manipulator extraordinaire in her, in most of the story. Now, the, the, but the thing they do do with her is generally the person who outsmarts her is Kanta, and he says things like a scene in one episode where he's like, you know, I give, like, in five years, because <laughs> she, like, it, oh, from, in every single 
outfit she's in, including her, like, de desert combat um, atmosphere suit thing, it's, like, all to point people to her boobs. And, like, that's her, that's her point of pride, that's her, that's her asset to, like, catch people off guard and, like, manipulate them. And there's a scene where, um, Contra's like, I give you five years and those things that will be, and those knockers will be banging on your kneecap. And they have, like, a little side scene where she's like, I've got, she's, like, counting on her fingers. She's like, I've got more than five years, I think. And it's, it's, it's this, it's this little comedy break in her, in her character that, like, gives you, like, a nice, hilarious, like, doubtful human moment out of her that actually you don't generally get from a character like Fujiko. Uh, but what they do with her character, they basically make her this, like, justice warrior who believes in de who believes in Kanta and, like, wants him to, like, win the fight against the government. And it just... It just doesn't feel... It doesn't feel the same and it doesn't feel as good as when those two are going at each other and they... And you get the sense that they honestly care about each other, even through all the comedy and fucked-up perverse humor. But it's not... It's not over... It's not over-dramatized. It feels less like a... The comedy... The, like, boob jokes and the, like, fucked-up humor that they throw at each other and the insults they throw at each other feel less like a adversarial, aggressive thing and feel more like a, albeit overly fucked up, like, couple prodding each other, almost, if that makes any sense. And that's part of the, re that's part of the delicate balance that makes it okay, that makes it feel okay when he says things like, come here, you little milk mouse. It feels... It feels less like a like uncomfortable thing, at least to me, because the way that he's saying it and she responds to it is more like you say that in a joking way, in an intimate moment with significant other than in a fucked up lecherous way, even though it very much is in the context of the show. And it, it's just like it's a little impressive. And I so I did a episode about um etchy anime. And um what I said in that episode is that if you like something, if you like something because it's etchy and it's okay and it's okay any way that makes you feel, and this certainly falls into that category. But the thing about this show is that it doesn't... It gives those characters agency, it gives, like, Junko agency, and it gives 
it gives this female, it gives this attractive female character some kind of agency and control over the, um, over the narrative. And when it doesn't, the story swoops in and fucks over Kanta to make sure that, like, that last scene doesn't actually happen. <laughs> that, like, last scene that was, like, taken over the edge into, like, high school DXD hentai territory. Um, and uh, so... But what happens to Junko in the... on the other end of the show is that they, like, completely chop that whole feeling off of the knees, and she is, like, working for Taizuka, and it seems like she's doing something she believes in, but because you're so used to the character being like, no, fuck everything except for money, I'm in it for the money, because that's how I survive in this world, it, it, it just, it feels off, that, like, the, like, whiplash of the show makes it feel not uncomfortable and not bad, just different in a way that's not stable, if that makes any sense. Um, but regardless, I will say I would recommend that you, like, if you're looking for, like, a show that has enough jokes per minute to make you laugh at something, if you like the kind of, if you like, like, really low bathroom humor, like I tend to sometimes, definitely check this show out. It's, um, streaming on Funimation. Uh, I think you can get it on DVD Blu-ray, but I think, I really think it's only streaming on Funimation. The funny clips are definitely on YouTube. I look them up. Um, but, yeah, definitely go check that out. But until next time, I hope you liked this episode. If you did like this episode, definitely subscribe to the podcast. Um, give it a five-star rating. That helps a lot. And I will talk at you later. Start with one circle. Add one more circle. Then at one more big circle, then a raincoat blowing in the wind. Well, don't forget about the sunshade now. His part is blackest in the desert. Shotgun is what he's gonna use, and then you've got yourself a snow. Risking your life is what you do, what you do, it's what you do.